Welcome to episode 313 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. As we kick off the new year, I've been reflecting on my biggest wins of 2022. One of them was completely out of my control and led to the most PR I've ever received. NPR, yeah, National Public Radio, interviewed me on how to master in-person networking. They reached out after viewing my TEDx, which aired back in January 2020, right before the pandemic shut down in-person events and shuttered my business. I've since successfully reinvented myself as a virtual event design consultant and executive Zoom producer, so it was amazing to have my pre-pandemic experience sought out again. After airing an 18-minute podcast interview and related article, a four-minute segment was then shared on All Things Considered and on the morning edition on NPR stations across the country. My croissants versus bagels networking strategy a very sticky concept, was shared hundreds of times across social media platforms. I found out there are folks teaching my concept, hopefully with full attribution, across the globe. As in-person events become more common again, I'd love to share my networking tips with you. Just go to robbysamuels.com forward slash NPR and learn how to make events less awkward and more rewarding. Now, Onto this week's interview. Hey, everybody, we're making it happen again. Welcome back. We're getting ready for another episode of On the Schmooze Live. I'm pretty excited that we're now doing all these live streams, and you'll be able to catch the audio version of this will be coming out in early January. So I want to just give people a little understanding of who I've got in the room with me today. So let me do the formal introduction. Today's guest believes that healing, awareness, empathy, and engagement are critical in today's increasingly connected yet polarized world. Her work aims to support deeper connections and mutual understanding among different groups toward a more equitable society. She's a diversity, equity, and inclusion specialist, coach, and international keynote speaker. She has worked with organizations across all sectors on DEI, intercultural communication, supplier diversity, and employee engagement. Her expertise has been featured in media outlets such as the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, NPR, and the Washington Post. Her latest book, The Power of Employee Resource Groups, How People Create Authentic Change, shares how to build ERGs to empower underrepresented employees and positively impact diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts within organizations and society. Please join me in welcoming Farzana Nayani. Thank you so much, Robbie, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Arzana, you're joining us all the way from LA. Thrilled to have you here. As you know, this is a show about building strong networks, but the context is leadership. So tell me, how did you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? 
You know, leadership for me actually came on in my awareness about my identity. My mother's from the Philippines. My father's from Pakistan with roots in India. And I think when you have a, a variety of different cultures in your household and also how that can be different from mainstream society, it can really be a challenge to define who you are as a person, never mind leadership. So I think um, growing up, I was always exposed to sort of like the silent, strong leadership, the uh, leadership by doing, not just by saying. And those are things that I've incorporated into my own leadership style. Uh, but what I would say is, you know, kind of the pinnacle of when I, I found my own leadership was uh, when I went out on my own and became an entrepreneur and uh, started my own business around diversity, equity and inclusion. It was uh, uh, partly to do with my uh, children. So I have two kids that are 12 and, and 10 now, um, but they were, you know, younger at the time and needed me more at home. And this was before, you know, the remote working thing was, was a big thing. Um, so I, I managed to, um, you know, start my own business, but I really thought it would be a, a slow uptick and it would take time. But lo and behold, there was a lot that I learned about telling my own story as the way that I could, you know, meet clients and, and reach people. And so I think what I would say that leadership is, is it's finding yourself, knowing who you are, and then being able to tell your story as a way to connect with and, and reach other people. I love that you started with kind of family of origin stuff, because clearly the cultural differences are, were stark and, and gave you some things to think about that maybe some of us haven't had a chance to think about that you had these sort of different methods of you know, leadership by doing sort of quiet leadership that, you know, sometimes when you're a kid, you're like, I can't imagine doing those things. But then as you kind of grew into yourself, and of course, being an entrepreneur is all about leading self. I want to wind the clock back a little bit, though, because you started talking a little bit about family. And I want to go back to those early days. You know, what were you like on the playground? You know, were you watching the kids? Were you organizing the kids? Did you run for office? You know, in high school, did teachers see you and think, oh, Varzana's got that leadership quality? Like, you know, what, what, what kind of kid were you? It was uh, quite a stark contrast from what you just described. I was quiet. I was shy. I didn't talk to anybody. I remember wishing I would learn how to carry a conversation at a meal if I was having a meal with a friend's parents or something. I just was very self-conscious and didn't have the confidence um, about being who I was. And so uh, when you meet me now and, and when people hear this, this part of my journey, they're very surprised. I'm very talkative now. I'm very uh, outspoken. And in fact, people think that I'm from the East Coast or something. I've heard people say that because I'm direct um, sometimes, but that's not my nature. I've had to norm to right, uh, the world around us and, and what's expected of us in terms of being a leader. Uh, that being said, I would say that I really grew to be an observer. And I think that part of being a really good leader is to know your surroundings and to understand people around you. And so I, I listened a lot, I observed a lot, and I still do. Even though I work with a number of clients and many people want my opinion, I spend a lot of time hearing from them first. I spend a lot of time continuing to educate myself, uh, going to conferences. You know, if I'm asked to speak at a conference, I'll make sure I attend some of the sessions because there's so much richness in who we are as people and how we can learn and develop. So I don't think that it ever goes away. I think it's a lifelong uh, mission and journey. 
Uh, and at the same time, as we model our own leadership to others, I think people seeing me as a brown woman, a woman of color, a woman with uh, you know a diverse background, um, it can be inspiring to them to think about you know what traits of leadership they can incorporate or um, celebrate as well. Yeah, no, it's true. Just living your best life is a great way to to be a role model to other people. So Farzana, you were talking about you know who you were as a kid and who it's how it sort of doesn't match how people perceive you today which is one of the reasons i love asking that kind of question because when there is sort of a, a disconnect between like oh but you look very confident today like i only know you as a superstar and then you hear these sort of more humble quiet beginnings i think it gives people listening an understanding that regardless of where they are in life like they can start where they are and like grow i'm curious when did that start to shift for you like when did you start to find that voice you know, was it in your teen years? Was was it in college, after college? Like, when did you start to, I don't know, stand in your own power? Yes, there's there's an additional part to the story was that I got really involved with athletics and, and sports growing up early on. So I played uh, basketball, my first love. I played soccer, volleyball, and I ran track. And I happened to excel at all of these. I was the starter of a lot of my team's. Um, and you know, I remember there was a top 10 on track and all the, all the events. And I got, I think seven out of 10, uh, in the top 10 on that, right. In the school and the grade I was in. So, uh, I parlayed that into making some teams and I actually grew up in Canada. I grew up in Vancouver. Uh, and I had a, a British basketball coach who said, Hey, why don't you play this other game called netball N E T B A L L it's a Commonwealth sport. And I ended up making like the juniors for for Canada. Um, and why, why do I bring this up? It's because I learned a lot about leadership from my coaches. I learned a lot about teamwork. I learned about uh, not putting myself first, but, you know, really connecting and bonding with others. And I learned about being in the gym with uh, other genders. So being a woman, I, I was fine as a girl. I'd play 21 with the guys and beat them. And I think like when I go into business settings, it doesn't bother me if I see men around me like a whole room full of men, if it's like a finance uh, situation or whatever it is, like it, it really doesn't bother me. And I think that those things uh, that I experienced early on affected who I am. So the, the, the turning point, the pivot was, you know, when I was in college and so formative for many people, but I started to take courses around literature and understanding culture. And it just was this light bulb. It was a spark that came into my life. And uh, I ended up reading a lot. And I decided to dedicate my life to intercultural awareness. And it wasn't even diversity at the time that I studied. It was communication. And I was just so interested and inspired about how to uh, connect with people from different cultures and really bridge differences. So that was my passion and, and it's stuck with me. And even now when I do diversity, equity and inclusion work, really for me, it's about creating common understanding and having people connect with each other and um, you know, be a part of each other's lives. So that's, that's the place I come from with my work and, and I know that's different than some other people, um, but really I come into it thinking that um, we can create community together. Yeah, I mean, this is, you're speaking my language for sure. Uh, That's how I sort of approach it. In fact, I got into the world of uh, virtual events because prior to the pandemic, I'd spent a decade teaching people how to network at events, at conferences, because I believe events are about content and connection. That's why 
we made the effort to get on planes and travel. And so when virtual became ubiquitous as the only way we were really communicating, I thought, well, we can't have this be the exception to that role. We have to find a way to create con you know, content and connection in this new mode. And I mean, like you, it's like, how do we have those community conversations? How do we build that, that connection, that space? Um, you were just talking though about how sports really influenced sort of you and gave you an opportunity to really engage and show up in a different way and excel and be seen as a leader and try out, you know, the experience of being on a team and teamwork. And that, that starts to also change, like even your understanding of gender roles and like being comfortable being around guys. Cause I think like you may not have had that a lot of that experience and now you're you know competing against men and it sounds like beating them. Um, and then it would, and I love how you sort of mirror that to like the world you have today where you might be in a, a boardroom meeting with mostly if not all men and like not having your voice be drowned out. So I, I think it's really interesting that you're able to draw that parallel. Um, when you were 12, did you have any sense of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Was there an inkling of what you might want to go to school for or, or go into work for? Not at that age, I would say no. My mom was a nurse, so I knew that um, service was important. I came from kind of a strong ethical background around giving back. So yeah. there's something around volunteering or uh, helping the world. So I, I didn't have it pinned down, though, in terms of a career. I probably wasn't exposed to much, to be honest. Uh, probably a teacher. And I did do education as part of my um, my university uh, you know, education. So I would say that's probably what it was like thinking about teaching. And then when you get to college, you discover intercultural communication as being a thing. And that, and that it really was appealing to you. I've taught some intercultural communication programs because if people give you one, one hour to do DE and I, I'm like, that could cause harm. Let's just do this. <laughs> Let's like talk about how we all have these things. Like um, it's, it's really a useful starting point for some people who are not maybe there yet uh, or a little resistant to those conversations. At, at first though, you didn't go right into your own business. You, did you go for a job, like a, a, you know, yeah. a job, like what was the path? Yeah, I, I did grad school at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Uh, there's a huge Asia Pacific uh, Islander center and it's called the East West Center. And I got exposed to a lot of uh, different cultures. We, there was a dorm with 50 different countries in there and we had classes together. It's where um, Barack Obama's parents met, right? In case you're wondering how did, you know, Kenya and Indonesia get together. Um, it was in this center. So in that and, and taking, you know, uh, courses and Hawaiian studies, ethnic studies, et cetera. And I, where I learned the language too, I learned my mom's language there. I grew up with it. Of course, I could sound it out and understand it, but um, the grammar and whatnot, right, wasn't formally taught to me. So that was formative for me. And what happened there was I moved to LA, got a job doing uh, leadership training for Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders with a nonprofit here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And that's where my career took off. I ended up doing programming for them. I got recruited to another organization doing entrepreneurship and business advising. I did that for a number of years, um, half a decade, um, five or six years. And then I moved to work for a chamber. Uh, I learned about supplier diversity from on the ground, from helping businesses who are a minority and um, certified businesses. So I learned all about supplier diversity from that side. 
And you know what, Robbie, at the time I thought to myself, it'd be really cool to have a business at some point, <laughs> but I didn't, I never thought it would be me. It was just something that I looked up to all these entrepreneurs who are doing amazing things and moving and shaking. And they're so inspiring, right? Like hearing them accept awards or give speeches at events. Uh, there are a lot of role models I saw just from people who decided to follow their passion. Um, ended up working for a diversity training firm for a year as well. And I really learned the ropes of how the business works. Uh, but that's when, you know, I started to focus on my kids and wanted some flexibility. Um, but it all pieced together. If you look at the pedigree of, you know, what I was exposed to, I think I have taken everything from all these different facets and I really owe it to all the people I've worked with and the communities I served. Um, but at the heart of it, I, I do uh, center identity and uh, underrepresented communities as well. So that's something that I think it weaves through the fabric of all the experiences I've had. Yeah, it's, it's amazing when you look back and what, you know, seemed like almost a broken road as you were taking it, you know, leaping from one rock to another. It's like, oh, no, that was a path that was right. It's like a zigzag. It's just sort yeah. of you go back and forth and there's switchbacks and you wonder if you're heading in a direction. But yeah, absolutely. It's helpful to look back. You know, um, it sounds like you got a lot of exposure, different kinds of exposure to entrepreneurs and small business owners through these different experiences you had, which takes the idea of perhaps having a business one day and makes it a reality. Like a, this is a thing people really do. It really exposes you to the possibility and the kind of people you need to be around, but it's still different from deciding to do it yourself. <laughs> and it sounds like your kids were the impetus for wanting to, you know, I guess, design your own life and you have some more control over your schedule. Although a lot of people leave a, you know, 60 hour work week at a day job to work 80 hours <laughs> as a, as a uh, self-employed person. Um, what was the, what was it for you? Like, how did you decide to move forward? Like, how did you know this was the right next step? And, what kind of supports do you need to put in place to make entrepreneurship real for you? Oh, gosh. Can I tell you a story I haven't told before? My heart's beating. Um, so I remember being uh, online and, and having to, you know, uh, work certain hours. And my kid, who was young at the time, was just trying to get my attention. And um, he ended up uh, climbing the dresser and you, you all can get mad at me for not um, earthquake strapping the dresser but he actually um, pulled it down and it landed um, luckily beside him somehow it didn't land on him it was like an angel was watching over him because there was like a space where he ended up and he was like four or five um, and that was at, literally at that moment I said to myself i I need a new situation. I've got to be more aware of myself and what my family needs and not um, worry about being on the clock. So that's what did it. It was so easy for me to make that decision and um, I haven't looked back. So since then, there's something that's been important to me. It's, it's my kids and my family and I schedule meetings and my team knows that I have pickup time and drop off time for my kids and you know wake up time and getting ready time and it's amazing it's liberating I can take a day off um, you know and take the kids somewhere when it's their day off but I think I needed that wake-up call and you know I, f I feel sad that it took that but I really paid attention so um, luckily he he was fine but um, 
you know, we all should have the ability to balance. And I think being in this remote world has allowed us to do that. There's a lot of us being more present at home and being able to do uh, our own cooking and, <laughs> you know, our errands and, and just be more available to each other and to our families. And that's why there's so much resistance, right, to, to going back in, into the office. And I understand that. Um, another thing is I used to hide that I had kids, believe it or not, um, when I'd um, in, interact with people, I think being, right, like a five foot three, women of color, uh, daughter of immigrants and mom, right? And I breastfed my kids to like a year each, right? I just always tried to minimize the impact of what parenting was on my work. So I tried to kind of downplay it. And I think what's been liberating around being at home is people's kids and pets are popping on screens. And it's like, this is normal now. And it really should have been this whole time. I don't know why we're a norm to... Uh, society where we can't be who we are in totality. And, and that's really the messages in, in, in my books, where it's about who you are as a person, showing up, being your whole self as much as you can in, in a sense of safety that's comfortable for you in the environment you're in. But it takes us being okay with that ourselves and not taking that down um, you know, for, for ourselves where we hide and we have to cover. I understand that. Um, but I've gone through my own version of that, and I really wish for people to be more uh, available to who they are as a person. Well, first, as a fellow parent, your story about your kid climbing on something and it falling over is heart-pounding and scary, and I'm so glad this is a distant memory and nothing bad came of it other than the lesson <laughs> that you had to learn, right. which is emotionally difficult. Um, you're not the first parent this has happened to. I, I like panically went around and tested all the furniture when we were kept moving like, to keep, keep reattaching things to the wall, which is my least favorite thing to do. But I was so nervous about all this. Like you just don't exactly. know. I also realized as you were talking that I've only been a parent as an entrepreneur because mm. I left my day job the like December, uh, 14, 2014 and December 2015, I became a parent. So I, when I left, I didn't know that we were about to be parents. And then we were trying and we, we had a kid, um, one of our first, uh, and then we had a, a second two years later. Um, but I mean, I remember my early on, like having my little kid, like in my arms, like taking calls. And I always say like, I, this is like a, it's almost like a values test. Like, do you, do we have shared values? Like if you're not okay with this happening or not okay with an interruption, you know, then, then this isn't going to be a good fit. <laughs> like, right. I will do my best to like make every meeting happen and like show up on time and have zero interruptions. I now have a lock on my door, which has really helped, but that wasn't always the case. And I, my wife now works at home so we can like, you know, juggle this a little bit more, but yeah, I mean, I think you're right that now that we're all zooming from home, we've sort of loosened up some of those, I don't know, the norms have changed, I guess. And it's nice. Work-life integration is becoming a bigger reality for a lot of people. And it sounds like that was really the impetus for you doing this um, and taking this, this big leap. What was the first product or service that you were, were selling and who were you selling it to when you first got started? So I, I did and still do a lot of speaking engagements and trainings around uh, DEI and intercultural awareness. And uh, what has evolved is, is really working on the strategy of an organization, 
doing a lot of work around surveys and assessments, do a lot of coaching now, advising. So it sort of like runs the gamut of everything an organization needs. But it's interesting because at the, at the time when I first started, I, I kept asking myself, are these trainings effective? Is it really doing anything? And I wanted to hook it into a larger plan. And, and that is what I'm doing. Um, but what I'm finding is I'm returning to those speaking engagements um, because what people need right now is motivation. They need, um, you know, a spark of inspiration. They also need uh, some of the technical expertise. And I talk a lot about um, that in my book around employee resource groups. So being able to parachute into an organization and spark the lights of so many people uh, is so gratifying to me. And, and I think I'm at a different place about it. Whereas before I, I question, you know, how effective is it? Um, but I feel now that sometimes you need to have that external voice remind you of what you're doing, how, how you can uh, create more. And that's where the transformation occurs. Sometimes you just need that pivotal conversation. So I'm excited to be a, a part of so many different versions and, and varieties of, of engaging with people. Um, and I'm industry agnostic, so work with a lot of different organizations, nice. tech, publishing, could be healthcare, um, you know, large to small businesses and corporations, higher ed, nonprofits. So. Uh, you know, people ask me, hey, do you have expertise in this area? Well, what I want to say is you have the expertise. You, you're there, right? I'm the person that can stitch it together and be a cross-pollinator of all the amazing best practices from all of these places. And isn't that also exciting to learn from other industries about what can be done? So I feel really strongly about that. And I think that's, you know, maybe part of uh, because I'm multifaceted as, as a person, I'm comfortable with that as well. So this is really interesting. When you first got started, you're focusing on speaking. Currently, it sounds like you're doing quite a lot of things. But early on, I was really focusing on these talks. Who were those initial clients? How did you find those initial clients? I know you were surrounded by entrepreneurs, but how did you find people who saw the value of what you were offering and gave you a chance to, to try yourself out as a you know, paid speaker? There was a lot of work I had done with conferences and I had volunteered for uh, professional organizations in particular around the Asian Pacific Islander community. And people who saw me there, you know, when I when I told people, look, I'm going out on my own and, you know, I'm, I'm not connected to any brand, I was worried. And it was interesting because the opposite happened. People were like, oh, what are you up to? Let me know. <laughs> so they were, you know, Team Farzana, which was like so exciting and, and um, unexpected for me. And what has happened since then is I've gotten into writing. And one of my books is on raising multiracial children. And a lot of that discussion comes from education around race and, and being uh, connected um, to who we are as parents, who, are, who we are as educators. So I did do a lot of work with school districts, um, other organizations who were interested in how to bring that conversation forward. Um, what was interesting was during the pandemic, we had uh, the tragic murder of George Floyd, uh, which was so, so um, impactful on the world. And then we had people schooling their kids from home or trying to uh, do some version of education, right, while working. And so there was this nexus of um, 
people who were working professionals who were parents who were like, I don't know how to have a conversation with my kids around race. And so that really took off where it was the conversation around um, how to have a talk with your kids about race. That was what a lot of employee research groups wanted me to talk about. Um, I just spoke with, with Google earlier this year just on that topic. I do a lot of keynotes on that. Now, would you have asked me, would that have been that the topic that took off? I would have said no. That was a passion project. And I know one of your questions, Robbie, was, you know, what was a difficult time in your life? It was trying to write that book. I had such a hard time writing that book because I thought to myself, no one will be interested in this. What am I even doing? So it took me two years of ideation and then finally like another year of writing, like a three-year process to get that book out. And ironic ironically, uh, unbeknownst to me, was the one that people were interested in. Um, so that that was, you know, kind of my, the, the first starting out point, but a lot around awareness and, and communication and understanding to start. There's so many good things that I want to tease out of what you just said. One is you were volunteering before. Yes. Were you volunteering before you went out to do your own thing? Were you already volunteering? Yes, I was. I yeah. always was. I was involved That's with an em employee research group um, uh, association that, that serves people who are part of ERGs. That's amazing. Of course, there's an association for ERGs. Um, of course, there's associations for everything. I shouldn't be surprised, but somehow I'm very surprised. So... That's cool. So I want to underscore the fact that you were volunteering, you're building up your professional credibility. People knew you. I was meeting a lot of people. You're meeting it was a, lot of a lot of contacts, a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. People started to know who you were, colleagues. what you're yeah. about. Yeah. So that's that in itself is like gold. Anyone listening who's trying to make a shift either to another career, another sector, or into entrepreneurship, you know, getting some vol strategic volunteering in. I mean, you can volunteer for your PTA. It will be different experience. Volunteering in professional capacity will get you different opportunities going forward. The second thing is that you wrote a book, your first book. Now, what year did you like leave your job and become an entrepreneur? Like, what was the year that that, that was? Twenty seventeen. Okay, so twenty seventeen. And what year did your first book come out? Twenty twenty. Okay, amazing. So like you said, it was this two-year process of ideation, a mm -hmm. year of actually writing it, the whole time thinking, this is a passion project. No one's ac actually care about this topic. I just care about this topic myself. So you're, well, you're putting your heart into Well, and my community it. members who are, you know, I call them the mixies because we go to conferences and we're mixed race folks and we're like, hey, reunion. And I thought that would be it. You know, yeah. and maybe it's because of a lack of representation, which is a comment on the the need for it. Uh, yeah, I just thought it would kind of stay in in our you know circular echo chamber. Right, like it wouldn't it wouldn't be a, a something um, heard beyond the the kind of community that was most impacted by it. Yeah, but you still felt called to do it, and even just having a book, even if it, even if the book was slightly off of the tangent of what people wanted to hire you for, the book itself was a lot of legitimacy. Right. For even if they hired you to do some other talk, the fact that you wrote a book. You know, oh, yeah. Helpful. But then Absolutely. the topic like in 2020, it blew up. It blew it, up. It blew and you, up. Were, you already had the book and you're positioned to be the expert to come in and have this discussion. And then you're really focusing particularly on the parenting piece. And like you said, the intersection of parents suddenly being sort of in charge of schooling their kids and like they couldn't just like lean on their, their schools to take care of some of this. So, I mean, it's amazing, like how you had sort of everything lined up for that. Um, and I, there's a lot, I, I feel like you're just, um, 
you're also intuitively listening to like what's happening and following it. And I think that um, I've been talking about this with other people about how um, those of us that are seen as either more resilient or um, I don't know about the words like we're we're not we're, we have a we have a vision, but we're not so tied to the steps of how we get there or even exactly what success success looks like, and that can sort of shift as we learn new things. And so when you learned that this was a topic of real import and that people are going to pay attention to it in a real way, there was probably something else that you'd been pushing, right? Mm. Like there was another talk that you were trying to push out and get known for, but you didn't get hung up on that. And like, you don't think of the other talk that didn't happen yet, by the way, uh, as a failure, you just saw this new possibility as a huge success. And I think that there's a way in which that's a resiliency that entrepreneurs who do well are able to be more nimble and responsive to what's happening in the market. And um, so there's a little bit of kudos to you, but also a lesson for anyone listening about like, you know, instead of just being like, I want to be known for this X thing, like be open to like all the things you can bring to a conversation. And you clearly had more assets um, than you thought were being counted on. <laughs> um, and suddenly you were the person. So very cool. And clearly now you've got, you already name dropped like all of these great nouns, right? Like, you know, it's multiple books. You just talked to Google, like you're working with across many different sectors. Um, how do people like hear about you? Is, is it the books? Is it the talks leading to new talks? Like what's your mechanism now for attracting people in since you're not in a like, um, you're not like known as the person for this, topic within x you know silo or sector or industry like how do you get the word spread great question i speak at conferences a lot and most of the time you don't get um paid for speaking at conferences or maybe some do um, but it's not your standard rate i'm just being transparent but that's okay i think that there it's back to your point about volunteering um, and giving back to the community and in the industry, I feel like that's my way of doing it. Like I will always show up if you um, can find a way, right, to make it uh, available for for me to share about my book or share about something. Um, so yes, I do. I do a lot of talks around um, you know DEI and, and employee research groups and race and and identity. Um, and I've developed friends. There are a lot of friends who come to these things, or colleagues, and they're part of your network. But they become like a joyous connection that you are happy to see again and again every year. Uh, so I would say that's one thing. Um, also, just staying in touch with people. I, I really try to. And people move from organization to organization and they'll introduce you to other people. Um, they're people who've referred me and I don't know, I, I didn't know the first person who sent the referral on, um, but they know me or they've seen me speak and it was in the back of their mind. Um, I, I also am an act, I'm really active on LinkedIn. I, I, and I'm authentic about it. I, it's, it's not advertising for me. I just share a thought and, uh, it gets picked up kind of like you, Robbie, you know, just w like what's in your heart right now or what's, what's the passion you have to share. Um, and so when there's something going on in the news, I'll, I'll try to speak to it as best as I can. If there's something going on in my life or something I'm observing as a trend, you know, there's a lot around, uh, quiet quitting and, uh, you know, the great resignation. And, and so uh, for me, you know, with the wars and everything going on, um, because of my cultural background, it's impacting the communities I'm a part of um, for many reasons. So I try to bring some awareness to that. 
And I think people really appreciate uh, an honest, uh, connected voice, not just, you know, a talking head, but someone who maybe is thoughtful about um, what is going on, maybe brings a different perspective. So I think that's that's my key differentiator. Um, but at the same time, I'm not, you know, advertising. I don't pay for advertising. I don't do anything in that of that nature. Maybe I could grow. Hey, you know, I'm open to new things. But I just love, you know, what comes into my inbox and, and how people find me or, you know, um, there was a major, major company that found me on Instagram and I was just posting about my multiracial uh, book and I would share stuff about being a parent and they had me come in and, and talk about that and we did a whole series and it was, it's with a, a huge, huge name. So there are things that I wouldn't have dreamed of that have come my way. I'm truly grateful. Uh, and there are a lot of people who I feel connected to and I want to support them to reach their goals. Um, there's a lot of things that I can say that others can't. So a lot of people in organizations really want me to hit home with um, the truth. Um, you know, what is on people's minds, what's in their hearts, what's a challenge. And I can say those things. They can't because they're there. They're employed by the organization. So that is also a refreshing take that I bring. Yeah, it must be very freeing that you're not tied to those different paychecks that they're they're getting. And so you can speak their truth and help them um, advocate from the inside. You just shared so many great tips that I always ask this question, which I'm going to ask formally in a moment, but you, you, I feel like you've already shared a bunch of great things. I mean, speaking pro bono or for not your full pay at conferences as a, as a way of both giving back, but also being visible because it's much easier to get hired to speak if people have seen you speak. So there's, there's a way in which if people are too stingy about where they're willing and when they're willing to speak and for how much, then they sort of limit the number of stages they're on. And that, and I don't just mean like physical stages, it could be interviews or podcasts or, you know, and anything that gives them a chance to tell their story or share their concepts. Um, but it also sounds like you nurture relationships, which is the question I'm always asking during this show. It's like you have your inner circle of people that you know you'll either stay in touch with or easily recap, you know, catch up with again when you see them. But then there's always this sort of second and third tier or second or third layer out the people you see for instance once a year at a conference or you work with five years ago uh, and you haven't had a reason to since i should mention these are people that you would enjoy seeing again you liked each other um so i always curious like how people um spend time staying in touch like how do you how do you take stop them stay top of mind for these kinds of looser connections any any habits philosophies or practices that you do on a daily or weekly or monthly basis Yes, great question. I'll, I'll start with a, a concrete example. So I had done a book talk in uh, Kansas City to launch my book on employee research groups. And I got inspired by that because I said, hey, you know, I really should do one in LA where I live and I did it. And, um, you know, it was a good intimate crowd, but it was all it was the, the classification of the people. It was people who I had seen but haven't seen in a while, friends, colleagues, networks. And I, I posted about it and I said, hey, if anyone would like me to come to their city, let me know. And one of my good friends from Vancouver, where I grew up, said, hey, I got a bookstore for you. Let's do it. So we ended up doing one. This was just about a week and a half ago. And the whole crew came out like it was people I had worked with like back in the day, right? When I lived there and this was 20 years ago and we all, it was like a reunion. We all went out to dinner after. It's just, it gives me chills because we're all working on this in our own way, but we're not alone. Um, but it can feel like that because we're in our different corners, but there's such a community. 
So I, I would say, you know, just keeping in mind who is in your, uh, your network on your team and, and saying hi every once in a while. Um, I used to handwrite cards to people and, and send my little holiday update. I usually would send it like by March because that's, you know, the Iranian Persian New Year. So I was like, I'm going to give myself a little extra time <laughs> because I can never get it done by uh, like January or, or December, right? So I was like, I'm, I'm norm to a different calendar, y'all. Um, but anyway, so I used to, I would do that sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll send people stuff. But that's because I want to. It's not because I, I'm forced to. Um, yeah, I, I, and I think, you know, whenever, oh gosh, Robbie, when, when, do you remember when we used to travel? <laughs> so when I used to travel a lot, I would make a point, whatever city I'm in, to go and see someone else unrelated to the, the talk or event I'm a part of. But I would say, hey, while I'm in town, can, can I go see you? And I, this is how I would end up and I would see a tour of like the Coca-Cola office or um, the tour of Toyota when I was in Texas because they had moved from Southern California. And and so I just, people were really just inviting, um, you know, to, to show me around and I just got to learn a lot. So it was a, it's a living education, but it's also, it's, there's a lot of pride in what people do. And I really want to honor that. One of the things I hear you mention in a few different ways is that you invited these opportunities. You didn't wait for them. So you you said, hey, I'm willing to come to your city, right? Or I'm going to be in your city. Is there any, you know, any way we can meet up, right? Like you you sort of throughout these stories, you're, you're saying like, I would like some reconnection. Who else wants that too? And so you've, you've sort of invited the opportunity to happen and then you followed through on it. Like you didn't just say like, oh, that would be kind of hard. <laughs> uh, oh, really, Vancouver? I mean, it's been 20 years. Am I going to go all the <laughs> way back there? You know, but you were like, no, sure, let's do this. And then then because you'd said you you offered the invitation, you followed through on on it. And then you had the opportunity for this reunion, right? Like, um, or you were going to go to a city and you said, hey, while I'm in this city, let's who else will I know here? And you put that out there and then someone said yes and you followed through and then you ended up getting a great tour, right? Like, I think that there's a way in which other people move through life with like more blinders on and they're missing opportunities that are like right next to them, like literally one lane over and they just, they don't want to see it. And you're like, well, that would, you know, I always think when I'm traveling, I'm always thinking like what airport major hubs I'm going through. I actually ran into one of my best friends um, I was in an international airport and um, we crossed paths, <laughs> which oh, was like wild. That's amazing. I have seen her in person in I such a long that. time. And like, we only figured it out because I, I was posting that we were going somewhere and then I was looking at, I happened to see her thing and we figured it out like two days beforehand. And I was like, is there a chance you're going to be going through this particular airport? And like, it was a yes. And it, the timing overlapped. I mean, that was wild. And that's the kind of thing that I'm, I want, I'm, for me, it's like serendipity is more likely to happen if you know what you're looking for. And you sound like a person that's, that's looking for more serendipity to happen. You're like, oh, let's make this happen. But you're inviting. And I think that's really cool. And I hope others listening can think about how they can parlay that in their own life. Um, it also sounds like you're super active on LinkedIn and in a, in a real kind of way. Uh, there's a couple people that I follow on LinkedIn and shout out to my team member, Ann Bono, who is like leading the charge on this front. But I, I love that my LinkedIn is now real conversations. It's like once you fall into this sort of world, you start to follow certain people and like 
the kind of posts you see are just so great. And um, so now I'm going to have to add you to the people that I, I oh, check in with all the same, time. Ditto like, to you. That's just so neat to me that there's this, these, it's like LinkedIn felt very um, static for such a long time. And now it feels like a living thing. It feels like something that's very vibrant. Um, but it really has to do with what people you follow or what hashtags you follow. And right. Um, and you're, you're part of what's creating that and you're attracting people in and that makes you memorable and helps you stay in touch with people who saw you on stage. And then they want to refer you because they see you as an actual human being. Right. It's like, it's a little bit of like, it's the who, you know, and it's what you know, but it's actually who knows what you know and will they remember you? And it seems like you've got that nailed down. As we're wrapping up here, I always have a closing question around um, sort of like a year from now, you know, because you're a person I'm going to want to stay in touch with. Let's say a year from now, I realize it's been a year since we did this interview. And I'm going to want to, of course, hear about all of your updates, all your exciting news. What are we going to be celebrating for you a year from now? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Definitely want to see more of my content out there. I don't know what form it's going to take, but I would like to see some of it recorded and shared and, and you know, it to be more accessible, not just at a one-time event or if you're a part of a client. So I really believe in uh, democratizing access to uh, all of this information. So we'll see some of that. I think there's definitely going to be more writing in my future and more storytelling. So we'll see what form that takes, whether it be digital or something else that's print. Um, so stay tuned for that. I will surprise myself to see what direction I go. I'm, I'm in the midst of some decisions. <laughs> um, but I think just more of getting the message out and maybe a little more video. Uh, I've had requests from people. It's funny, right? Like while I was in Vancouver, folks are like, we need to see more video of you. We see the pictures, but we want to hear you. So uh, message heard. Uh, and I think just, you know, everywhere we go, uh, there's a lot of learnings. So I just would love to share more of that. Brilliant. I can't wait to celebrate all of that with you, helping you get your message out into the world. It's an excellent thing to motivate towards. I think uh, others will benefit hugely. And if anyone listening has opportunities for you to be seen or heard somewhere, they should definitely reach out. Speaking of which, how can people find you and follow your work? Great question. I have a website. It's www.farzananayani.com. So it's my first and last name. Uh, we also are in the middle of launching a new one called ERG Dynamics. So you can go there, ergdynamics.com. My handles on social are at, are at Farzana Nayani. So I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, and we also have at ERG Dynamics. So lots of places to find us. Fascinating. I love that you're now really branding yourself around the ERGs, the employer resource groups. As I mentioned to you, as we were getting on air, my wife has uh, just stepped down. She was uh, the immediate past uh, chair of a ERG, um, an LGBT ERG in the ed tech space. And um, she looked through your book and said it's going to help her as she does planning for next year, making sure the metrics tie back to the organization. And they already were doing some pretty good recruitment. Uh, but some of the principles you had in there, she said, this underscores what we've been doing. And I said, well, you need to share this to the other ERGs. And she's like, you know, you're right, because we, you know, we are all coming from it differently. Like she has a communication background. So she's coming at it with that lens. But I think everyone should have access to the same kind of um, format or process. And it sounds like you've really simplified that. 
created a great, great path forward for anyone who's part of an ERG. Um, definitely check that out. I'm going to put all the links, including to the, to the books that you have and your LinkedIn, your website and all this stuff. I'll put it all at ontheschmooze.com. Thank you so much for joining us for this amazing conversation. Thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Farzana. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 313. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.